Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Well, good morning and welcome to Blue Ridge Church. It's great to see y'all. Um, it's great to be up here speaking this morning. I've missed you guys, and I'm just glad to be here this morning. For those of you here in person, those of you watching online, again, I want to welcome you and uh, thank you for tuning into this series because we just started this great series last week called I Promise, where we are looking at one of the most important things about God and about God's truth, and it's the hundreds of promises that he makes to us right? That if you're here and you are a Christian or you're on that faith journey and you're trying to figure out what it means to follow Christ, that the promises that God makes to us and the gives to us, the commitments that he makes to us are so, so important, right? Especially when we worship God, like we were just doing a couple minutes ago, it's so important to know the character and the nature of the God that we worship, of the type of person he is and the way he loves us and the things he tells us he's going to do for us, both in our immediate and our future in our lives. You know, last week, Scott kicked us off talking about the promise of heaven and how everyone who's got a relationship with Jesus will one day receive the promise of heaven. And that's kind of the nature of all the promises that God gives to us, that there are things that he's going to do in our lives or things he's going to give us or show us or do for us that prove his love for us and prove his commitment to us. And so I'm excited to continue in that series this morning. We're going to be looking at one of, probably one of the most common promises that God gives us all throughout the scripture, and it's the promise of God's guidance. <clears throat> it's the promise that God makes with his children, with his followers, to guide them and to lead them and to show them the way that he wants them to go in life to be there alongside of them as they're making decisions, as we're making choices, as we're going through those major areas of our lives to show us what he wants for us and what he wants for our lives and in our future. Here's what one of the verses says in, in Psalm 32. It says, I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Right? Like clearly when you read this passage, you can see that there is a way that we should go. God is saying that there is, there's a certain and specific way that I want you to go, but his promise is to instruct us and to teach us and to counsel us in what way that is. Right? There's another verse in Isaiah chapter 58 says something similar where God is saying is that the Lord will guide you, you always, that he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. There's hundreds of these verses, places where God is telling his people, telling the people who have committed their lives to him that he is there to show them and to guide them and to teach them and to counsel them in the way that he wants for them to go in their lives. You know, I think this promise in particular, they're all important. Every single promise that God makes to us is very, very important. But this one is really important because what it does is it, it decides and determines a lot of the, the paths that we take in our lives, doesn't it? Like if you're here this morning and you've had any experience in following Jesus, there's probably a good chance that you've gone through a season where you try to figure out what is God's plan for my life? What does God want me to do with my life? And when we read through the scripture, it's pretty clear and evident that God has created each one of us with a very specific intention, right? A very uniqueness 
that, that we're different than other people, that it's not just, you know, we're all cookie cutters and we're all the same. God's given us different abilities and different talents and different uh, uh, things that, that, and desires that we, that we end up going forward with and moving forward with in our lives, that we're all unique in a certain way. And, and sometimes, even though that's true, sometimes what can happen is we get so caught up in that, is that we also believe that when God created us, he also created this step-by-step plan that we all need to follow in order to get exactly where God wants us to be. And we sort of pigeonhole ourselves into like the one way to do everything, that God has one job for me to take if I want to be in his will, that he's got one person out there that I'm supposed to marry if I want to be in his will. I've got, there's one city that I'm supposed to live in, one house that I've got to live in. And so what ends up happening more often than not is it becomes a very stressful and very anxious-filled uh, deal to try to figure out what that plan is, right? And if you're here, you've probably tried to figure that out, whether you're a Christian or not, right? We try to figure out what is that plan for my life. If God's got this big plan and he's, he's planned out the steps that I'm supposed to take, how can I get my hands on that blueprint? Where do I need to sign up to figure out where God wants me to be? Even if you're here this morning and you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus, you probably have that same desire inside of you. You may not call it God's plan for your life. You might call it something like your destiny or your fate, but it's something that's within every single one of us because God put it there to have a desire to find out what our purpose is. What are we here for? Where does God want me to be? What am I supposed to do with my life? Why was I made? And so what we'll do is as we go throughout life is we kind of gauge it based on how, how good or how poorly our lives are going, right? To see how close we are to God's plan. So if, if life is going really good, right? Your marriage is great. Your relationships are going good. Work's going great. You think, well, I'm probably doing pretty good. I think I've gotten some things right in God's plan. On the other hand, when life is hard and you know, money's tight, having trouble getting out of debt, marriage problems, same issues over and over again at work, you don't like where you are, then there's probably a thought in your mind, maybe, maybe I've made a couple mistakes. Maybe I've missed God's plan. Maybe I've missed a few steps in that plan and that's why life is so hard right now. And that's a really dangerous place for Christians to be. It's a place where we often find ourselves, myself included, but it's a really dangerous place to be because it leads to a ton of regret and a ton of anxiety. We start playing this game, this what-if game of, you know, what if I did make the wrong choice? What if I did choose the wrong college? What if I did pick up my family and move to the wrong place? What if I did marry the wrong person? And we start to think about what our lives would be like had we made different choices. And, and then again, it leads to so much regret and so much anxiety. It hurt, it's hard to find what God wants for us when we're so consumed with that one step-by-step set-in-stone plan, right? Because that's what we think God has done for us is he's got this great plan for us. So how can I go and find it? And the implications of it are huge, right? It's so huge. The weight of that is so monstrous because it's a domino effect, isn't it? Like if you make one wrong decision, if that's the way God works, if that's the way his plan goes for our lives, if we make one wrong decision, especially early on, then man, we can ruin the rest of it, right? If we move to the wrong place, then we put ourselves in a place where we're hundreds and hundreds of miles away from the person God set apart for us to marry, and, and now we're working the wrong job, and, and we're, we're lost. We don't know what to do. We don't know where to go. And so we live under this weight of maybe 
just maybe, if I can get my life together, if I can start making better decisions and start making my decisions more in line with the will that God has for my life, that then maybe I can get God's second best. Or maybe if I'm lucky, I can get his third best or fourth best for my life. It's a really difficult place to live, but it's a place where many of us find ourselves a lot in our faith. The good news is, that's not what the Bible says about God's promise of guidance, of what he says he's going to do when he leads us and he shapes us and molds us and, and moves us in ways and as he shows us what he wants for our lives. The truth is actually that God's promise of guidance has almost nothing to do with us and has almost everything to do with him and him alone. We'll come back to that almost piece in just a minute, but for now, learning number one, this is the first thing I want us to really focus on, is that God's promise of guidance isn't swayed because of our imperfections. In other words, you know, even when we fail in life, even when we mess up, even when we miss a step, God's promises do not. God's promises never fail. And this is a hard concept to grasp because there's not much context for it in our lives, right? Because the way that human beings, the way we make promises and commitments to one another is a lot different than the way God makes commitments and promises to us, isn't it? Like the way we make promises to one another, and this is not intentional, we don't intend to break our promises, but it's just because we're human and we make mistakes and we say things that we don't mean or we say things with the best of intentions, but something happens along the way and we don't fulfill those promises. But, but oftentimes the human context of a, of a promise is that eventually it'll be broken, that it's dependent on both parties. And if one of those parties don't show up, then that promise is broken. It's easy to see in a lot of different areas in our lives. I think when I became a parent, this became really evident to me that there was going to be a lot of things I told my kids I would do for them that I, I never did, or sometimes that I had no intention on doing. And, and I'm not saying the big things, right, like serious things, like I'm not telling them I'm going to show up for their games and just, you know, ghost them or tell them I'm going to pick them up from school and don't show up. If that's what you think I'm talking about, then we might have a different conversation, right? But, but I mean, like, like, for example, um, like my kids at nighttime turn into completely different people, right? It's like a combination of like a used car salesman and a philosopher and a negotiator all in one, right? It's just the same thing, like especially with my oldest, okay? So every night we do the same routine with our kids. Um, you know, we, we tuck them in, we read them a book, we give them a kiss, we pray with them, and then we leave. And almost every single time, like clockwork, my oldest, as soon as you're about to close that door, he says, oh, 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 dad, I'm, I'm actually really thirsty. Can you grab me a water? And I'll say, okay, sure, buddy, I'll go get you a water. So I'll, I'll go downstairs and fill up his cup and bring him up some water. And I'll be like, okay, here you go, buddy. And he'll say, oh, oh, I wanted ice in my water. And I'll say, okay, well, give me the cup. I'll go get you some ice and I'll go fill it up. Go back upstairs. Knees are burning. <laughs> give him the cup. Here you go. And he goes, oh, real quick, is this water from the refrigerator or is this from the sink? He hates water from the, the sink for some reason. And I'll say, it's from the refrigerator, right? <laughs> even though it's from the sink. And so I'm, I give him the, the water and I, I'm about to leave. And right before I close the door again, what do I hear? Oh, oh, daddy, um, I'm really hungry. Can you bring me a snack? And I say, sure will, buddy. Close the door, never go back, <laughs> Right? Now, I do that because I'm hoping that by the time he realizes I'm not coming back, he's asleep and he never remembers in the morning. And some of you are like, your kid's going to have 
a lot of problems, and, and he, he may. We'll deal with that at a later day. But that's kind of the nature of the things we say, right? Like we say things to people casually. We don't mean everything we say, and it's not with the worst intentions. We're not trying to hurt people. We're not trying to intentionally break promises, but that's the way we are, right? Thinking about other things, think about marriage to get a little more serious, right? When you get married, if you've ever been married or you are married, chances are wherever you stood, whether it was an altar or wherever you were at, you made a promise to that other person that you would commit your life to them regardless of whatever happened, right? Till death do us part, for better or for worse, richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. And, and none of us stand up on that altar and, and intend to break that promise, right? Even the worst of us, right? Even the worst relationships, those two people stand up there and they truly mean what they say, I promise I will do this. And we have the best intentions on doing it, yet still almost half of marriages fail. Now, I don't mean that to be a dig at people who are parents and parent that way or, or who've gone through divorce, but what I want us to see is that the way we make promises to each other, way different than the way God makes promises to us. God's promises never fail. God's promises aren't dependent on us. It's not dependent on us being perfect. It's not messed up when we make mistakes. God's promises do not fail. Here's what 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ. One of the biggest things when we talk about God's promises is realizing this. His promises do not depend on us. They depend on his nature, his character, his commitment to us, and his promises do not change just because we change. He doesn't change up his plan. He doesn't uncommit to us. He doesn't unpromise things that he said to us. Every single promise God makes to us, he fulfills. And that's great news for us because we are all imperfect people. The most Christian person in this room is still the most imperfect person. And we're all going to make mistakes along the way. We're all going to mess up the plan that God has for us at one point or another. And so it's comforting knowing that the God who loves us is willing to work with us even when we turn our backs on him or even when we fall away or we stray away from him and make some choices that may not be in line with what he had planned for us. As a matter of fact, if you were to dig into the promises of guidance in the Bible, almost every single one of those promises is rooted in some sort of disciplinary action that God is giving to his people. Right? We could even take those same two verses we read earlier in Psalm 32 and if you throw that back up there, the context of this, of this verse in verse 8 is David has just unloaded a ton of sin onto God. He's just confessed all this sin, I mean, from murder to adultery, among other things that he's done in his life. And he's laying it out there before God. And, and God is disciplining him. He's saying, hey, this is what's going to happen because of those choices. It's not going to be easy. Here's what's going to happen. And in the middle of that discipline is verse 8. I will instruct you. I will still teach you. I will still guide you in the way that you should go because I love you. My commitment to you, my promises to you are not dependent on you. They're dependent on me. The same with that verse in Isaiah 48 or 58. In the context of this, the Israelites had just turned their back on God, gone through a season where they stopped following God, stopped worshiping him the way that he wanted them to and had started going other ways and serving other gods. And so God allowed, as the discipline of that, God allowed the nation of Israel to be conquered by the Babylonians. And as they're about to be conquered and taken away from Israel and be taken as, to, 
as exiles into the land of Babylon, like they're literally in shackles and God's like, listen, I'm going to guide you always. I'm not leaving you. I'm not walking away from you. I'm not turning my back on you, even though you've turned your back on me. I'm not going to give up the promises that I have for you. As a matter of fact, where they're going, right, the sun-scorched land, that's, he's talking about Babylon. That's 125-degree summers. That's where they're going to be when they get taken into exile. And what does he say? You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. God's promises do not depend on our ability to be perfect. They don't depend on our ability to follow through with every commitment that we make. God's promises are different. And that's comforting because it's true that we don't live under the pressure of having to get it right all the time. It gives us some breathing room to know that even when we do make mistakes, our God is not going to abandon us and to leave us. Instead, he's going to reassure us, no, I'm right there with you. Yeah, it's going to look different. Yeah, it might be different than what you thought or what you envisioned, but I'm going to be right there with you. I'm going to keep guiding you, and I'm going to keep pushing you towards the will that I have for you in your life. I think one of the best things that we can understand about God's promises is that they're not just this set in stone, one thing that we have to do if we want to live into God's plan, right? There's not just one person out there that God has for you. There's not just one career that God has for you. There's not just one place that you have to live in order to follow through with that and and to live into God's plan. Um, Before I was married, this was something that just wrecked me. I mean, I was just so paralyzed by it because before I was married, I thought that there was like, like this mythical one out there that I had the responsibility of going to find, right? To go into Mary. That was this woman that God had set apart for me from before the foundations of the world. And, and my job was just to go find that person. And so I was so, so like kind of nervous of picking the wrong person that I was like, I don't even want to try. And that caused me to go through one of the, the darkest and loneliest times in my life because I was so afraid to make a mistake that I didn't even make a choice at all. And it wasn't until I realized that it wasn't our job to go out and find the one and that we had freedom and we had liberty as long as we were living within the confines of what God calls us to, to go out and and choose on our own, to go test the waters. And that, through that, I ended up meeting who's now my wife, Lindsay. And, And it wasn't that we were looking for the one, it was that, that when we got married, she became the one, right? Or she likes to call it the one in charge, But the Bible teaches us that that God's promises are are more like this instead, and it's learning number two, that God guides us by equipping us with the tools we need to make the right decisions. That that God's commitment when he says he's going to guide us and lead us is that he's going to equip us and give us the tools and the resources and the things we need in order to make the decisions in our lives. It's not going to be this play-by-play, step-by-step plan that he's going to give us that we're going to know exactly where we need to go and exactly what we need to do. Instead, he's going to give us what we need to make that decision on our own. Here's what Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21 says. May the God of peace equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. Notice how this passage doesn't say, may the God of peace tell you exactly what you need to do. It's not how God works. It's not what God's going to do in our lives. I've heard it this way before, that God provides the paint, we draw the picture, right? God's commitment to us is, I'm going to give you the paint, I'm going to give you the brush, I'm going to give you the canvas, I'm going to give you a place to paint, 
but it's your job to actually pick up that brush, dip it in the paint, and start drawing, right? I thought this example might be really helpful. Um, I've got this recipe book that we got for one of our kids, and we got it for one of our kids because they're so picky, and they never want to eat anything that we make for them. And so one day we were like, you know what, if you don't want to eat what we make, you can make it yourself. And, uh, and my, my oldest is so stubborn that he said, sure, I will. Well, I will make what I want. And so we got him this book. And, uh, and so he loves making food with us. And it's this great little thing. It's, it's one of the best decisions we've made as parents. Um, but this is just, the, I mean, it's just an example, right? This is just a typical recipe. I'm sure most of you are familiar with following a recipe, right? Hopefully. Um, but it's basic, right? There's an ingredients list. And then there is an instruction guide where you can follow step by step to make what you're going to make. So this one here is buttermilk drop biscuits, and it gives you the ingredients, it gives you the equipment, and it gives you every single step that you need to make buttermilk drop biscuits. Okay, and it's very straightforward. There shouldn't be any surprises with a recipe. Okay, if you follow the, the directions exactly, you will make what it says you're gonna make, right? Uh, you're not gonna get spaghetti, you're not gonna get something different, very predictable, very straightforward, and, and sometimes this is what we think God's gonna give us when he tells us he's gonna guide us, right? When he promises he's got a plan for our lives and we need to follow him to figure out what that is, that he's gonna give us everything we need, he's gonna give us step-by-step -step instructions of everything we need to do, and if we do that in the end, we're gonna get what he wants. But that's not what the Bible says is it? The Bible teaches us something different, that the, the promises of God's guidance is more like this. It's like a box of ingredients that God gives to us. And he says, here, go make dinner. And you might look at that box and think, well, what do you want me to make? And God says, make whatever you want. Okay, but how do I know how much to use of each ingredient completely up to you. Use as much or as little as you want. And, and, and check this out. Nothing you make is wrong as long as you stick to the ingredients that I've given you. Okay, so, so what if I'm making dinner and, and there's something that I want to put into my, my meal that I don't see in this box? Well, then at that point, that means we've got to go outside of the ingredients that God has given to us in order to get what we want. And at that point, there's no guarantee from God that what we end up with is what is in line with his will. Right? Do you understand how, how that works? That, that God's plan for our lives isn't this instructional guide that we are commissioned to go figure out. It isn't this, you know, God's got this magical plan where there's this is going to happen and then that's going to happen and then this is going to happen exactly the way that you want it to and you've got to figure out what that is. You've got to get down and you've got to get in the word and try to figure out what that is. That's not how God's plan is. God gives us the tools that we need to make those decisions in life. And he says, here, you make the choice. It's your responsibility, my responsibility to give you what you need. It's your job to pick it up and actually start painting. It's your job to put them together and figure that out. Now, for some, that might be scary to think about. But in reality, that should be really relieving. Because that means we can use our uniqueness that he created us with and, and we can use our creativity and, and we can get kind of crazy here and there as long as we stick to what the ingredients that God has given to us. The moment we step outside of that, the Bible calls that sin. 
We start contaminating that plan. We start bringing things in from the outside. And the Bible talks about things like pride and envy and greed and jealousy that get mixed into that that decision-making process that we have of of what we want to do with our lives, of what career we want to go down, of of who we want to marry, of all these different steps and big decisions that we have to make. When we start using things outside of the tools that God gives us, we set ourselves up to getting something in the end that wasn't truly from him. See, I think it's so important for us to really understand this concept of how God's promises work and how God guides us throughout our lives to be using the tools that he's given to us. And the moment that we step outside of that, we set ourselves up for failure and we set ourselves up for missing what he has for us, even if it's just a little. Here's what Galatians chapter 5, verse 9 says, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Right, even even adding one extra thing outside of what God has given us is going to contaminate that plan and, and it's going to produce something different than what God had in mind. And so what does this mean for us? It's learning number three, that we need to be putting ourselves in the best possible situation to be guided by God. Right? One of the biggest responsibilities that we have when it comes to God's promise of guidance is if we want to find God's guidance, then we need to be putting ourselves in the best possible situation to be guided. And the way we do that is by using the tools that God has given to us. So what are those tools? Well, one of them, big one is his word, right? The Bible, right? Psalm chapter 119, verse 105 says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. I think that the very foundation of decision-making for a believer is to be rooted in the scripture, to be regularly, whether that's every day or every other day or once a week or, or some sort of routine that we have where we are regularly putting ourselves in the position where we are reading about who God is, about how God has interacted with his people all throughout history, of the way he works, of the way godly men and women make decisions and the things that Jesus tells us he wants to do. And, and it's to read those and let those wash over us and let those influence the decisions that we want to make in our lives Again, it's not going to be we open up the Bible and find every answer to every question in our lives, but instead it's going to equip us with the resources and the tools that we need to make that godly decision and to make that choice that's in the will of God. So we've got to learn his word. We've got to study his word. We've got to memorize scripture if we can to let that influence and wash over us as we make those choices. Another tool that he gives us is his spirit. John 16 Verse 13 says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. We know from scripture that the nature of the Holy Spirit is that he guides us in ways that we aren't able to see, that we don't really even know sometimes, but we know that he's working behind the scenes in our lives to nudge us in certain ways and to convict us and to lead us into places where God wants us to be. When we pray and we wait on God, when we're still and we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you know, we're moved towards God, right? He pushes us, the Holy Spirit pushes us towards the person of God. Another tool that God gives us is his people, right? The church. Here's what it says in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. It's so important. If we want to make good decisions in life and be led by God, it is so important for us to embrace the relationships of other Christians and other believers, of godly men and women that we can surround ourselves with that will help us to see God's plan, 
to help nudge us in that direction, to help show us, hey, you're not living out your faith. You're, you're doing this, or maybe to convict us or to, to criticize us, whether it's a good criticism or a bad criticism, but people that will sharpen us, that, that visual of as iron sharpens iron, right? Like that we're, we're with one another. We're together with the church. We're united. We're in a group. We've got a community of people that have got your back that will help you through those hard things that remind you of who God is and that pray with you and, and they're there with you through hard things and through good things. All these different tools that God gives us. He says, this, this is the way that we figure out what God's will is for our lives is by equipping ourselves with this. And the great news is this. If you're a Christian, you've got a relationship with God, then you have everything that you need already to be guided by him. You've got the word. You've got his spirit. You've got the church. You've got the resources and the tools that God has given you in order to make those decisions. And that's great news for us. I think when you start to see that this is how it works, that it's not just this one set in stone plan for our lives, but instead it's, it's more that God equips us with what we need and we can go out and make those decisions for ourselves, that it starts to transform the way we see the will of God. And we see God's plan for our lives and how we understand God's guidance in our lives. It might even change the way you see God or how you read the Bible. Just the other day, I was reading in, um, in Matthew chapter 18, I was reading the story of the lost sheep. And, and I noticed something because of this, this way of God guiding, I noticed something that I'd never really realized before in all my years of reading it. And, and if you're not familiar with the story of the lost sheep, it goes something like this, that there's this shepherd and he's got a hundred sheep. And for whatever reason, one sheep goes, you know, wanders off and he finds himself lost. Right? Doesn't, doesn't say why he, he wanders off, but he finds himself in a place where he's lost. And so the story goes that instead of the shepherd focusing on the 99, he leaves the 99 and he goes after the one in order to, to find him and bring him back to the rest. It's this, this great picture of salvation, this great picture of God's pursuit and his commitment to us. And, and throughout my life as a Christian, I've been a believer for about 15 years now, I've only ever read that passage, that story, through the lens of Jesus is the shepherd, the Christians are the, sh the 99, and that one that went rogue is the unbeliever, right? The one who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't have a relationship with God. And so it's this great story of Jesus going after those people and, and, and he's going to save them and he goes to find them and, and brings them back into the fold and they become part of the church. And this is this great story of salvation. And I think that's the point. I think that is one of the major points of that passage but I also think there's something deeper there, too, that I've never realized before. And I want to show that to you in the last verse of this story in the book of Matthew. This is the very last verse. It says, and, when he find, and if he finds it, this is talking about the lost sheep, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. And what I want you to focus on in this verse is this last part here, that he didn't wander away. Because that would imply that this sheep who wandered off was at one point part of the pack. In other words, he was following the shepherd. He was following Jesus. And for some reason, he got distracted and ended up wandering off the path and found himself to be lost. And it got me thinking, you know, when's the most important time or the most urgent time that we need guidance? That's when we're lost, that's right. When we're lost, we don't know where to go. When we find ourselves in a place in life where we are 
way further away from where we know we need to be. And I know myself personally, that is so easy to do as a Christian. It's so easy to get caught up in our lives and get busy and, and, and be maybe pouring your life into your career. And, and you, maybe you start a family, you get married or you have kids and things are going on all the time. And it's so hard to prioritize God that you find yourself wandering further and further away from God before you look back and realize I'm completely lost. And I'm out here by myself. I don't know where to go. I don't know where I am. And you become like that lost sheep separated from the pack. You know, it's really hard to be guided by someone when you're not close enough to hear their voice. I think it's in John chapter 17, verse 10, that talks about how Jesus is the shepherd and how we as believers are his sheep and that when the shepherd speaks, his sheep can recognize his voice. And it's really difficult to hear his voice if we're not in the best possible position to hear it. If we're so far away from him that we, we can't hear him. I think that's so important when we talk about God's promise of guidance because when we recognize we're lost, it puts us in a really hard place. You know, I, I don't know if um, any one of you have ever been lost before in your life, but I think one of the most terrifying feelings that a person can have is being lost, right? And maybe even more than that is being lost and not knowing that there's someone out there looking for you. Right, anyone ever been lost in their life I mean, at any point, right? And I don't just mean like you, you have a GPS going and you make the wrong turn and it reroutes you. Right? I mean like lost, lost, you have no idea where you are. Okay, I think I told this story a couple years ago, but um, I, at one, when I was eight years old, I got lost in the magical kingdom in Disney World. And we were in this section, we, had a, we were a family of six, so it's you know, a lot going on as we're getting on and off rides. And you know, in the summer, there's like a million people there. And so you know, you're just kind of like walking around everywhere you can, you can find space. And so as we're getting off this one ride in Tomorrowland, that's what they call this part of the park, um, still there today, but as we're getting off this one ride, you know how like when you're at a theme park and you're like, when you're younger, it's kind of like you're talking and you're like, whoa, that was awesome. Like, can't believe that ride went up and down. And, and so you're going and, and you're kind of walking as you're talking. Well, this is what's happening with me and my family. And we're just talking about all these cool things that we just experienced on the ride we were on. And in Tomorrowland, there's all these different sections all over the whole section of this park. And I think they're called like stereoscopes. You know those things you look into and you can like click a button and it changes what it shows you, it kind of illuminates with the light. So they have these all over the park. And, and I've got really bad ADHD. And so I, I, I'm wandering off and I look through one of these things and I'm like, oh my gosh, look at the future. This is, we're all gonna be on hoverboards. This is gonna be crazy. And so I'm going through all these and, and thinking how awesome this is. And, and when I put my head in this thing, my family was there. Okay, when I brought my head out, they were gone. And so as an eight-year-old, I'm like, maybe this is some sort of portal that I like jumped into. Like, I'm serious. I was like, maybe I, so I looked my head back in or put my head back in, hoping that when I pulled it back out, they would be just magically standing there. And obviously that wasn't the case. And, and when I realized what had gone on, that my family had gone off and not realized that I wasn't with them, I like started to panic. Or like any eight-year-old would, I just, I, I didn't know where I was. I didn't have any kind of spatial awareness of where we had come from or where we were going. And again, there's so many people around, I didn't know what to do. And so, you know, my first instinct was that, I, that I'm never going to see my family again. Or my, my, my first thought is I'm never going to see my family again. I'm, I'm lost, right? This is how every Disney movie starts, right? Something happens where like the parents are separated from the kid and it's this terrible journey back to finding who they are. And I'm like, I don't want that. I don't want to be Simba. Like I, I want to have a normal life, <laughs> 
Okay, I want, to, I want my parents, and so I freaked out. I'm like, I'm never going to see him again. I'm never going to see my mom, my dad, my brother, my sisters. And so I panicked. And my first instinct was to just pick a direction and run. And just run as fast as I could, hoping that, that, I, that I'd end up right where my family went and, and we're back to normal. And just as I was about to start running, I thought, but what if I choose the wrong direction? Right? What if I take off running you know, for 100 yards and realize I went the wrong way. Now I've made it a really bad situation, an even worse situation. And so I just didn't know what to do. And I just stood there and started crying. And I was like, I'm, I'm lost. I'm never, I'm never going to see them again. And, and so I'm standing there crying and just not sure what's going to happen next. And, and that feeling, that's an empty feeling, right? That is a very empty feeling in life. But I knew in the back of my mind that my parents loved me. I, the, sure, there's three other kids. I, there's, there's room to spare in the family, and they could go with one less. But I knew, right? I knew that they loved me, and at the moment that I realized I was missing, however long that may have taken, that they would backtrack and find me right in that spot, and that's exactly what happened. It was probably only three or four minutes, but it felt like an eternity. They eventually found me, and I was reunited with them. And you know, now as a parent... I've got three little boys, and I know, sorry, I've realized that one of the greatest promises I can give to them is for them to know that their father loves them so much that no matter how far they wander, no matter how lost they get in life, that there is a father out there that will run after them and, and leave everything in his life to go and find them and bring them back to where they need to be. And that's the promise of God's guidance to us. That's the promise God makes to every single one of us who has a relationship with him that no matter how lost we get, no matter how far we stray, that he will leave everything, even something as radical as leaving the 99 to come after you and to look for you until he finds you and brings you back to where he wants you to be. I said in the beginning that the promise of God's guidance has almost nothing to do with us and has almost everything to do with God. Here's the almost part, and it's learning number four. When we're lost and when we're in need of guidance, we need to put ourselves in the best possible situation to be found. We need to be putting ourselves in the best possible situation to be found when we are lost in our faith and we don't know where to go. You know one of the most frustrating things about trying to find something that's lost is that when the thing that's lost keeps moving, right? As you're going after it, it keeps moving, getting further and further away, right? And that's what sometimes can happen, that our spiritual instinct kicks up and we're like, man, we just pick a direction and run and hopefully that's where God is and we end up in the best place. But chances are, because of the nature of our humanity and our sinfulness, we're probably going to make a mistake and we're probably going to choose the wrong direction and make a really bad situation and even worse situation. So in those moments, especially when we know that there's someone out there looking for us, a heavenly father who's willing to give up everything to come look for us, our best possible thing we can do is what? stay put, to stop moving, to stop moving further and further away from God and just wait for him to come find us and to bring us back where he wants us. I'll close with this, Psalm 30, 46, verse 10. 
God calls us to do this, to be still and to know that I'm God. That when we're lost and we don't know where to go, we equip ourselves with the resources and the tools he's given us, and then we just wait on him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful for your promises you make to us. Every single promise, God, is relevant to our lives. And every single promise that you make to us will be fulfilled, whether it's right now in our immediate lives or whether that's in our future as we grow and we, we, we grow a deeper understanding of who you are as we follow you. God, help us be reminded that you've given us everything we need to know your will. You've given us your word. You've given us your spirit. You've given us your church and the people around us to help guide us through life. Help us to actually use those. Help us to pick up the brush and actually start painting. And God, let all the decisions we make be rooted in wanting to honor you in all we say and all we do. God, we love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, as always, thank you so much for being here this morning. Just a, a few quick announcements. Um, if you haven't filled out that connection card, but you need anything, or maybe you need a prayer request, or, or there's something you want to tell us, or something you need from the church, please fill that out. That goes to a team that's really attentive and will help you in any way that they can. Um, we have a couple different groups in the lobby this morning. If you haven't seen them already, I want to encourage you to check them out. Uh, the Operation Christmas Child Table, like we do every year, where we put together boxes for kids for Christmas that would otherwise not be receiving presents. So if that's something you're able to do, I want to encourage you to maybe pick up one of those boxes and do that with your family. Uh, the other group is the American Heritage Girls. They are doing two different drives, one for the Christmas store downtown Christiansburg and one for the pregnancy center, uh, the local pregnancy center. So if you're interested, you've got the ability to financially help with that. Um, they've got a list of things and of items they're looking for this year uh, that they're short on. So I want to encourage you to pick that up and consider helping out in that way. But other than that, thank you so much for being here, and I hope to see you all next week. God bless.